Welcome into the Stolar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. we got Jeff Siegel here from Early Bird Rights to uh, talk Suns, Booker, and basketball. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing well. How are you? Uh, you're doing great. Uh, there was a great game last night. Uh, the Booker scored 50-plus in uh, two straight games, which hasn't really happened. Became the youngest to do so. And you wrote an article about Booker uh, in between those two games. So I wanted to have you on to talk about that the, and the Suns and the NBA in general. So why don't you give us kind of a brief uh, thought about what you saw in these games and how that informed um, you writing the article. I mean, it's it's hard to to say that I wrote the article specifically because you know, I, I wrote it between the two games, and obviously he was in the news for having scored 59 the first time around uh, against a very good Utah Jazz defense. So that was that was a, the, sort of the spark for you know that article. And now that we've seen him do it again, um, you know, it's it's something that. Every time he gets up into the news like this, it's always the question of can he be part of a winning team going forward? Can he be this this kind of player? And if you surround him with better talent, does his game sort of rise to the occasion? Or is he sort of what he is right now, which is a sort of a scorer on a bad team surrounded by, you know, not particularly great talent? You know, where does... How does he scale up? I guess is the biggest question that anytime, anytime I watch the Suns and anytime I watch him specifically, that's the biggest question that pops into my head. Absolutely, and for for people who, uh, I mean, yeah, I watch him all the time. So I, to me, that's not as much of a thing, but that's why we're here to discuss it. Um, because yes, he does have less qualities, and he continues to improve. While and to, basically, for those who aren't Suns fans or Suns writers or things like that. Um, the answer is always going to be until winning happens, what are, what do we have here? What what are we even assessing? So that's really the question that's going to come into uh, come here. Um, what did you think of the games in particular, rather than just maybe the stats that came up, the 53, 59 and a thirty three point loss, and fifty in a I guess it was a three point loss. I mean, it's 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 tough to to. I mean, those those stats are are sort of skewed against him in a way that it's sort of unfair that he scores 59 out of 92 points. And we're talking about him not elevating his teammates enough. He scored 59 points and his teammates aren't very good. Like what else do you want him to do? You know, he's, he's a very, he's a very, 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 very good scorer. One of the best we have in the league. And, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing I see from him is that he can be even better in that regard if he wanted to. Or if he not necessarily wanted to, because you know we expect that he wants to. It's more that like as as he develops. I mean, he's still so young. As he sort of continues to develop his game, develop his ball handling, develop his pull up outside shooting, which is sort of part of ball handling. I think that's my biggest area for him in terms of he can be he could be a James Harden like scorer if he has the sort of if he if he can develop the the sort of ball handling that that James Harden has you know and, and that was a big part of the focus of my article that uh he's not as good a ball handler as I would want him to be he doesn't you know necessarily break guys down off the dribble as much as you would expect from from a a bona fide you know superstar scorer like he is he's more of a back you get back his guy in and and get into you know his mid-range spots which you know it's just he's very good in those spots but those spots aren't as efficient as other spots. And so like, that's just the way it is, is that even if he shoots 48% from mid range, which is a very good number, that's still a 96 offensive rating on those shots. And that's not very good. You know, you'd rather him get to the rim, get fouled, finish at the rim. Even if his rim finishing isn't great, it's better than a mid range shot. And he's got more chance, get uh, more of a chance of getting fouled. And then, you know, those long mid rangers, we'd like to see him sort of push himself out toward, toward the three point line where he can, you know, where he's getting the, the extra value and, and the, the three point percentage doesn't drop off that much. And if those, you know, if he can do those two things and that's going to come with ball handling, that's going to come with experience, that's going to come with having players around him so that the pressure is not necessarily entirely on him to create every ounce of their offense. The, those, you know, I, I would imagine that he's going to improve in all of those regards. Absolutely. I mean, he, I watch, it's, it's good that he doesn't do those things that happened for the last 15 years where those players used to take those just inside the three point line shots. Pretty much any, anything that's not paint or three point scoring is one of those, either the floater that he does 
when he doesn't want to take contact because he just took contact like four times in a row or because he puts the defender in jail and just has to do it before he gets to the the uh, rim defense. Um, so it seems like it's one of those for sure. I definitely agree as to get that he, he could, with time, get an even better handle there, as well as uh, some have uh, some have said uh, get in the gym and get even stronger and ripped. I think that would help him even more. But then again, like you, we've mentioned, he's 22 years old. He doesn't turn 23 till the next season starts. And he's already, I mean, he's the youngest definitely to put 52 50 point games back to back. Um, and, and the crazy thing is he just, he could do it better. Um, what was I going with this? He also, he, he, he can get, but he can get better. And I think he may be one of the youngest people ever. I mean, he's now averaging 26.5 points a game. He may be the youngest to do that. I forgot. To, I haven't looked it up yet. Um, so there's just some things that he's doing that are unprecedented. Though I want to, people, people were noticing, well, you mentioned even, what do you want him to do, not score and have them lose by more? I mean, they're playing no Josh Jackson, which is whatever, no Oubre, no Tyler Johnson, much more importantly, and no TJ Warren. The, who Who's the second best player on that team right now? That's my question for you. I mean, I mean, is it is it DeAndre Ayton? The, the last handful of games is, I mean, it's it's just been... His, his, his teammate situation is not particularly great. And I guess it's been Aiton, you know, here and there, but it's, it's just such a, it's such a difficult situation for him to, to have to create everything for that team that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can get bogged down in the, in the winning stuff so much that you have to, you have to keep it in the context of the team that he's on and the, the fact that he just doesn't have the kinds of players around him and, there are legitimate concerns, or not legitimate concerns, but legitimate criticisms for him. You know, the fact that they put him back into the game to try to get 60 against the Jazz. Like, that's not a great look. But in terms of how that, how he's going to be going forward, that's, those situations don't totally matter. You know, whether the, whether he's gunning for 60 or he's gunning for 70 against the Celtics, like, it's just not, those things don't, don't matter to me in the, in the, grand you know the grand scheme of things the big picture for him going forward once the team is beginning to win more games he's gonna if he scores 60 they're gonna win by 30 they're not gonna lose by 30 like those are the things that that are gonna happen as the team progresses and of course if the team doesn't progress i would imagine he's you know not gonna be super happy to you know keep sticking around through the next five years of his uh his upcoming max contract yeah and and going through just kind of said that the teammates for those who don't aren't don't follow the suns as much you're gonna maybe see this I mean, so he has four rotation players out, means that he's playing with Bender, who is a under underperforming third year, second third year player, um, and then Jimmer was for some reason in there. Jamal Crawford is thirty eight and done, and four rookies, and Troy Daniels and Rashawn Holmes. That's the entire people that he's playing with right now, um, and that is just not going to get. I mean, the fact that they even won, and then you're talking about winning, and so I wanted to hear from you kind of, so when they had all these people playing, and then in the span of two weeks, they beat the Lakers with Ingram and LeBron, who were still trying, the Bucks, the Warriors, and then they destroyed the Knicks. Does that factor, does that seem too fluky? Because it seems like all those together doesn't seem as fluky, and it shows what they can actually win with. What do you think from a nonsense perspective? I mean, I think it's something that you would you would look at and you would want to keep in mind going forward. It's not necessarily... I wouldn't look at those handful of games and go, okay, this is the team we want going forward if I'm the Suns management, but you can look and you can pick and choose from those guys who played in those games and realize that putting a real team of capable NBA level players around Devin Booker is a good thing. And all of a sudden you start to be competitive and even win some games against Milwaukee and Los Angeles and, and some of the, the, the wins that they've been able to put together this year. And so, you know, you, you, the guys who are injured, you know, other than Ubre are, are, you know, going to be back. And so you would expect that, uh, I mean, not, I'm talking about next season that Ubre, you know, is going to be a restricted free agent. We'll see how sort of his, his restricted free agent market plays out over the summer. But Booker is going to be surrounded with better talent going forward. And that's, I mean, I think that's the most important thing is that he was able to engineer, the, you know, not necessarily him by himself, but they as a whole with him as a key part of it, were able to engineer those victories over, you know, some very, very, very good teams. Absolutely. And uh, they, I mean, they even one that kind of, that there's a part about building a team that is identity. And this team seems like it's going to be steals 
they grow up through first, second, and deflections and steals, I believe. Uh, at least they were a, a week or so ago, a couple weeks. So they have that there. I mean, you said they're going to be next year a better team. I mean, just the fact that Bridges and Aiton are going to get in the weight room is going to be magnificent. <laughs> I mean, along with other stuff, random stuff that's going to happen, and then continuity is a big part of it. I don't know. I don't. I definitely don't uh, say Kokoshkov should be fired in any way. I mean, I watched the last. I've been covering Suns basically since 2011, and this is one of the first years in a while that they their offense just doesn't bog down no matter what happens. Um, it just keeps going pretty well. I mean, it got bogged down when they didn't have any point guards for a while before Devin Booker was himself. Uh, now, and so I'm excited for that. Obviously, there's more to be done. You can, he has a lot of room to grow as a right now finishing up his first year as a head coach. He's been he was a assistant for 17 years, I believe. Um, so I think there's a lot of room to grow there, but I think that they have shown a lot of uh, improvement in certain things as an identity of a team, and I think they're going to improve more. I mean, Ubre, I, I, from the quotes I've seen, he did a presser um, before the Wizards game. And it looks, I mean, it seems like he's going to do everything he can as long as the money isn't extravagant to to sign with the Suns. And I think I was doing a polls. seems like the number is going to be within range where the Suns would re-sign Oubre, obviously not a given as a restricted free agent. Um, what else? Let's see here. What do you think, Troy? Do you think Troy Daniels is somebody who, what do you think of his game? Do you think he's like, I'm plugging him in as a shooter on a playoff team, or do you think he can be better than what he is shown? I mean, I think he's at this point just a, just a shooter. And whether he can be just a shooter on a, on a real, like, high-end contender is gonna sort of, how much, how much does he kill you on defense? And how much does his lack of everything else that he, you know, can and can't do offensively, how much does that impact him? I mean, at 27 years old, he'll be 28 this summer. This is sort of is who he is at this point. He's not gonna come back. In, in a couple of years with, you know, an ability to handle the ball and drive to the rim and, and, you know, play defense at a high level. He's a shooter, which is useful. That's, you know, if you're going to have one skill at the NBA level, shooting is a great one to have. You know, that's a very, that's always going to be an in-demand skill for, for a, for a sort of one skill player to have. If you're sort of a one tool or one skill player, shooting's the best one to have. So Daniels sort of has bounced around the league in that, in that regard and he's not, he hasn't bounced around the league on minimum contracts. He's gotten sort of these, you know, large, you know, two year, six million type contracts. He's on a, you know, $3.3 million this year. Something in that range this summer sort of makes sense. You know, I don't think that he's going, you know, they're not certainly not going to break the bank for him. They're not going to, you know, if they bring him back at 7 million a season, that's probably a bad contract. But if they can bring him back at 4 million a season, then, you know, I think he's worth keeping around as a shooter, as the seventh or eighth man off the bench who can, you know, come in when, uh, when you need, when you need shooting, when you need offense and he can be a, you know, a, a key part of a second unit that can play, you know, that can play fast and that can play, you know, play, uh, with a lot of off screen action for him. A lot of, you know, he can obviously space the floor around Booker and Aiton and, and the rest of those guys in a way that he's such a high level shooter from outside that he really not just can hit those shots, but can hit them at a high volume and defenses have to really respect him. So, you know, it just creates a bunch of space for everybody else. It's not something that he's, he's not somebody you can really build a team around, but of course, you know, he's a, he's a useful role player for sure. I mean, absolutely. I, I saw some improvement from him in, in like slight improvement in, in like those one uh, dribble pull-ups and uh, slight driving and, and uh, a little bit more, um, energy off on the defensive end and stuff. He, but obviously it's not good, but it's it's better than what Jamal Crawford's doing. Um, well, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I mean Jamal Crawford's done, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, but he's he's a different kind of player. He's he's more of a like if you need a bucket and Devin Booker either can't get the ball or isn't on the floor at that point, he's sort of a homeless man's Lou Williams at this point in his career. Obviously back in. Back when he was in his prime, he was Lou Williams before Lou Williams was, was Lou Williams. You know, those guys were are neck and neck in terms of their prime, in terms of just get get this guy the ball and get out of the way, and he'll get you a bucket against pretty much anybody. At this point, he's not really like that anymore. You know, you would expect that sort of decline at his age, but he's still able to to do some things. Um, you know, he had a I think he had a, a really big time late bucket last night, 
And, you know, it's just, he's... He gave up the Thomas Bryant three that made him well, have sure. to give a three to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there are certain issues, obviously, with him and, and his defensive, you know, capabilities at this point. But he he plays that role of, like, if you need a bucket, you can you can go to him. If he's if he's on your team and in your locker room, that's that's a good that's a positive thing for you, you know. So that that has value, even though we don't see that on the floor as much. Like he's he's a, a really good leader. Everybody who's any every anybody who's ever been in his same zip code has everything good to say about him and nothing bad. So like you know he's he's a a key part of of the team in that regard. I don't know that he's going to be back next year. As a, you know, I, I'm not sure that he'll be somebody that they want to bring back. I'm not sure that he's even going to, you know, continue playing basketball after this year. But, you know, we'll see moving forward. I mean, really, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, how much percentage does he add to all these players' ceilings just by being on the team for the six months that he was? Like, he adds 10% to Booker's ceiling or something? Like, I don't know. Or like, or 10% chance that the person reaches their ceiling, I guess. Yeah, because he's just such a good guy and such a leader and such a, a a good. I mean, especially for Booker, who's a scorer and who could really work on his ball handling to get it to where Jamal Crawford is. Like the that the pairing there is is probably something that the Suns had in mind when they brought Crawford in as sort of somebody who can help Booker with his with his ball handling. Obviously, I mean, his Twitter handle is Jay Crossover and stuff. But do you think Crawford's handle kind of fell off a little bit because it looked doesn't look amazing right now to me. It doesn't look amazing, but I don't think it's something that he lost. He didn't lose the, I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to say. He didn't lose the, the technical or the like mental ability to do the things that he wants to do. It's more that like physically things just aren't up to speed like they used to be. And so he can still, he can still look at what Booker's doing and help him out on the mental side of ball handling and on the technical side. And this is how you're supposed to do it. Sort of like a, like a coach, essentially like a player coach who maybe can't physically do everything that he wants his players to do, but can still teach them and can still help them, you know, get better moving forward. Oh yeah. I definitely, definitely agree with that. I just thought, I just didn't know if I was crazy when I was watching the game. I'm like, I thought he was supposed to be really, really good at ball handling. And he kept losing the ball. Um, what do you think of Aiton as he's obviously the number one pick? No one's saying he's a bust in any sort of way, but I mean, I'm seeing some pretty incredible things from him and flashes that, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm just impressed. Yeah. I mean, he's taken a huge step forward, you know, from what he, what he was pre-draft where there were so many defensive questions and then he came into the league and all of those questions were manifesting in themselves. And you were just like, Oh my God, is this kid ever going to be even below average on defense? And then all of a sudden things sort of turned in, you know, January, February and now into March. He's like, he's a capable defender, which is more than I thought he would be at this point in his career. And he's been, he's been really solid for them. And so I think it's, it's, you have to be incredibly encouraged if you're part of the Suns management and, and their coaching staff and just everybody within the organization going forward that he's, he didn't get discouraged by how bad he was in, you know, the first few months of the year. He's obviously working with the coaching staff to get better. You would, you know, put a, a lot of that on sort of the coaching staff. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about Kakashkov, you know, that's part of, you know, his, his, the assessing Kakashkov's ability as a coach is how much he's getting out of these guys and how much these guys are developing moving forward and whether, you know, whether he gets credit for TJ Warren's, you know, three point renaissance this year. I'm not sure about that, but he gets, he should get a lot of credit for Aiton's, you know, defensive improvement over the course of the year for sure. Absolutely. I mean, okay, here's, it's going to sound like a hot take, which I'm not all about, but I was tweeting this and I think, I think that Aiton will be better than Embiid eventually. Whew, uh, and that's... I mean, I'll explain why, but why from watching the two of them, I mean, maybe not defensively, but it, it, Aiton is so much more fluid. I watch Embiid stumble around a lot during a lot of those big games that I've watched of Embiid. And it's just, I don't see that with Aiton. He's just more fluid and already has the touch and he's so much younger. Um, defensively, it's going to take a lot more to him. 10, 5% chance that he does that. But I think that he could at Aiton in, in 10 years, I guess, when he's in his prime, could be a, an all NBA first team center. But I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think it, could could happen. 
Yeah, I mean, that's his ceiling would be, you know, being good enough on the defensive end to be, you know, maybe slightly above average and then being like one of the best offensive centers in basketball. So DeMarcus Cousins then, right? Yeah. I mean, that's even like, that's a better version of what DeMarcus Cousins was even. Like he's more fluid. You know, he's, Cousins is, is very good offensively. He's got the sort of ball handling and fluidity and passing that you would want Aiton to sort of emulate. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you that Aiton is probably more of a fluid athlete. Than a guy like Embiid, he's you know he's got that that fluidity in his game like you were talking about that just sort of makes him look a lot smoother and and Embiid is more of a physical presence and uh, you know can back guys down is more just is stronger than than Aiton is at this point and you know but the defensive side of it for a center is more important than the offensive side of course you know you can be a purely great offensive center and be just about average on defense and still be very valuable. But a guy who's elite on defense and pretty good on offense is going to be a better overall player, a more valuable overall player like you have with Joel Embiid. I mean, hence hence why the Gasol brothers have been so good for so long. They were pretty decent on both sides of the court for so long. I mean, how not anymore. But um, then also, so I mean, did you see that? I think it was the Jazz game, the... Well, I think it was a Wizards game. Um, was the uh, Booker was going to do a ball screen with him, and it was going to be a dribble handoff. And Aiton showed faked the faked the handoff, and then dribbled and just dunked it. I mean, it was some spinning and some really explosion explosiveness and really uh, speed that really showed something that seven one people that are as big as him shouldn't be able to do. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it, there's that part of it, but there's also the the mental aspect of that that he read the defense well enough to pull the the pull the dribble handoff back and then go to the rim. You know, you don't necessarily always see that decision being made correctly by by young bigs. They just sort of assume this is a dribble handoff play. I'm going to hand the ball off. But if he feels his defender sort of hedging away from him, or even you know doubling doubling Booker on the DHO. And Booker's defender, you can see Booker's defender sort of coming at him. If he's going over, then he can pull that ball back and, you know, like a run-pass option in football, pull the ball down and go right to the rim. Well, so on that, I, I agree. Part of it was that he read it, but also they've never, they've only done that dribble handoff a billion times and he's never, they've, he's never kept it. So it was kind of a surprise thing. But just like you mentioned, the kind of uh, going through the motions is what Bender has been doing for so long. The good thing is he we're talking about in a second on this game, but he kind of, it's like he's in practice on offense. Well, here's where I go. Here's where I pass. And and it's just, he just like kind of Koshkov sometimes says in the things, he just needs to play basketball. He's trying to think it and just not how you, you can't, you got to be more fluid there. But Bender had three threes. I'm so happy for him to do that. It's his confidence. He's, it's not his skill at all. It just needs to get confident for a lot of things. He's, he's pretty good on the defensive end. Have you seen some of those things that he's been doing Bender? Yeah, Bender's long. I mean, this was sort of the the point of what Bender was going to be when he came in. You know, Adam Maccabi Tel Aviv, he was supposed to be this long, rangy, 3 and D kind of center who could space the floor and who could do a whole bunch of things like that, but also, you know, be big enough at the rim to be able to deter guys. That sort of hasn't quite come to fruition yet. The 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 mental side of it, the reading of the game, being able to be there at the rim every single time or most times hasn't quite been there for him. And then, of course, you know, he's just he's not quite strong enough to to really, you know, hang in there and be a a full time rim protector. So, you know, those are the two big things for him going forward that, uh, you know, if he can catch on with another team, I you know, I wouldn't expect that he'll be back. But the Suns, you know, unlike a lot of guys who have their rookie options declined, the Suns will will have, you know, some some wiggle room to bring him back. They can pay him up to five point nine million next year. That's definitely going to be enough to bring him back. He's not going to make, you know, a. A significant amount of money going into next year so you know there's there's an opportunity that he might be back but i would imagine based on just how things have gone in phoenix that he might be looking to to make another move yeah i say i guess i just kind of thought of this i think they're gonna bring him back unless they get like zion if they get zion fine he's not back but i think he might be back otherwise but for pretty cheap it'd be even cheaper than what you were mentioning um but he just has some good things i was never on the i mean he's never going to be a star really i don't think but he was always going to be like basically what he did last night, slightly higher level, slightly more consistent is what he needs to be. Now, someone who I am actually much more impressed in Bender is Mikhail Bridges. What have you? Let's you can introduce first. What do you think of him? His game right now? 
I mean, I, I really liked him in the draft. I had him in, in, in the top 10 and I really, I really enjoyed his work at Villanova as sort of a three and D high level role player. Like that's what, that's what the Suns want out of him. He's one of their, one of their recent draft picks who just fits really nicely next to Devin Booker, somebody who can play off the ball, does not need the ball in his hands. When you swing the ball to him, he's able to make that three point shot, can put the ball on the floor a little bit, not, you know, not a huge part of his game yet, but he can develop that. I mean, he's still just a rookie, of course. So, you know, he's really a perfect complementary piece around Devin Booker. And it's not often that we've said the Suns got a good complementary piece around Devin Booker recently, but I think Bridges is is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, they might have gotten several. They just haven't panned out yet because they're like a college team. I mean, take Jamal Crawford, and they're basically a college team. Off, the, I mean, like it's, like this, it's Jamal Crawford at 38, and then I think it's Daniels at 27, and Tyler Johnson at 26. And then like TJ Warren or something, and that's it. Everybody else is younger than 25. Um, but yeah, so so but Kale Bridges, I mean, he's going to lead the league in steals someday. I think he already is getting pretty close, and I think he's going to be very very good defensive player. If not getting close to defensive player of the year, not saying he's going to make it because that's really tough. But if he, I mean, do you subscribe to the thing of rookies are always bad at defense? Because I kind of think that's a general thing, which kind of makes it scary how good he's going to be at defense. Yeah, I mean, the the defensive side of the ball has been his calling card, and it was supposed to be his calling card coming in. So it's nice to see that he's immediately stepped in and been able to be a positive on that end. And, you know, he's 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 just really, like, for me, I think he's just a really smart guy, smart player who can read the floor, does a, you know, does a good job of even just playing, even just within his role offensively, being able to catch, put the ball on the floor, and then find the next pass, you know, a lot of people talk about like one or two dribbles and a good decision. That's a, that's a, that's a thing that Bridges has and, and it shows up on the defensive end too, where he's able to read the game really well, get his hand in passing lanes, get his hand on the ball, has the sort of athleticism to go with that mental side to, you know, to really be a disruptive defensive player. The long arms, he has the instincts. I mean, and also, so he's obviously getting passing lanes, but he's taking the ball from stars and not getting fouls. That's crazy. I mean, he is able. I mean, he picked it from Steph and Durant in the same game, and he's just taking it from everybody. And also, as you mentioned, his passing as well as his uh, dribble pull-ups and uh, creating off off. I mean, he's doing some of uh, those kind of uh, taking the ball and going around a couple screens to the hole. Um, things that he didn't do at all in the beginning of the year that he's doing the last month or so that just show really good. I mean, kind of maybe this is just a little bit exaggeration, but. He's basically going to reach what he we thought his ceiling could be next year, and it all has to become more consistent. And he may be even much more than we thought coming out of the in the draft. Yeah, I mean everything that he's done this year, if he can do it more and more consistently, then he's going to hit his ceiling by the middle of next year to you know early part of his third year. I mean that's that's you know because we you, the, his the conception of him is sort of this three and D wing who can defend you know the biggest wings at the highest level you know at six foot seven like that's what you draft him for is to defend you know kevin durant at at, you know as much as you can defend kevin durant and and other guys who are bigger wings Kawhi leonard guys like that so you know if he's able to do that and he's able to hit threes and he's able to put the ball on the floor and make a good decision that's everything you need from him so it, the, just if he can do that more, if he has a higher, you know, higher usage rate offensively, you know, as Booker begins to trust trust his teammates more and trust Bridges more in particular, he's gonna, you know, his his usage will go up. They can, you know, they can start to even flesh him out to be more of a secondary ball handler if they if they want to later on in his career. So you know, the sky's the sky's not necessarily the limit for him because he's not gonna be Kevin Durant as like a as you know as an overall just one of the best wings in the game, but he's going to be a, a really solid part of this team, I think. I mean, he definitely has to get stronger, I think, just to really be able to do it and be able to guard people who try to back him down because he's, he's good when people face up, but when you, you back him down and try to get those rebounds and, and be sort of a, rim, a secondary rim protector, it's going to be hard for him. But do you think that he's more than could be more than a role player in that sense? Obviously not Kevin Durant. And then, like, do you have a comp for him? I can't think of one that's, like, perfect. Covington, maybe? Yeah, I mean, Robert Covington, but like Covington for many years, like couldn't dribble a basketball without the ball going out of bounds. Like he was, that was his thing is that like he was, he and Danny green were the two guys that were like high level three and D role players who, if you gave the ball to, and they couldn't immediately shoot, the ball was going out of bounds. Like it was just, that's the way it goes. He dribbled the ball more off his own foot than off the floor. Like it was just, 
whereas Bridges at least has the ability to put the ball on the ground, find the right pass. And, and Danny Green, to his credit, has gotten a lot better about that over the last couple of years. He's improved a ton as a ball handler and as a passer. J.J. Redick is in the same boat of, of somebody who can who was really just a shooter and is now much more than that offensively. And obviously Redick doesn't have the defensive acumen as some of those other guys, but you know, he, he has shown that you can develop the ball handling and the, and the, the passing later on in your career, the way Danny Green has and the way Redick has bridges sort of already has a little bit of that. You would want, you know, you're, you're going to need to see him be more consistent, have, you know, be able to scale up in a way that we haven't quite seen from him yet. So, you know, we'll see sort of what his comp looks like a year from now, where, you know, can he up his usage and still remain as efficient and as smart and as, as, as good a player as, as he's been this season? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be the secondary ball handler like as much of a Jackson will be, although we'll talk about Jackson and kind of general stuff in a second. But I think that, uh, Mikhail can do that. I think maybe it's the slanderous, but you were talking about the JJ Reddick section, people who can't dribble. I think Clay Thompson is more in that than people think he can, think he is. He can play defense. He can shoot better than anyone, anybody in the world but Steph. But he can't dribble as much. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it's it's not like Bridges is going to be a a Clay Thompson level shooter, or you know, maybe even a Clay Thompson level defender. But if he's a a poor man's version of Clay Thompson, plus you add a little bit of dribbling and passing to his game, that's a very 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 good player. You don't think that? I'm just curious. You're saying Mikhail Bridges can't be as good a defender as Clay Thompson, probably? I mean, can you real? I mean, it's he can. His ceiling is there. Like DeAndre Ayton's ceiling is to be a first-team All NBA center. But you know, the realistic outcome is—is is it realistic to expect even somebody who's been as good as Bridges in his rookie year? Is it really fair to put that to put the reasonable expectation on him that he's going to be one of the three or four best wing defenders in the league? I'm under, I've always I've always overestimated his defense, uh, Clay Thompson's defensive capabilities. So I guess I need to reevaluate that. Interesting. Um, what do you think of the two rookie uh, point guards? And and like I'm more a Anthony Melton guy. Like hold on to him, see what he is in three or three years. <laughs> Maybe he can be your starting point guard. But I mean, I'm a huge Anthony Melton guy. I, I was in the draft. I thought he should have gone in the the mid to late teens. And the fact that he fell to the second round, you know, maybe means that the the the, the the general managers and the scouts around the league knew something about him personally that we couldn't see, you know, didn't manifest itself on the floor as much. But I was a huge Melton guy coming into the draft. I've seen a lot of, of good things from him so far in his rookie year. I thought that, you know, the Suns were really smart to, to pick him up in that trade with the Rockets, you know, to, to when they, when they moved, uh, moved Brandon Knight over there. So I and Chris, I was like, you know, both those players, they were the only ones I didn't like love. And then they trade him at the same time. It was great. Yeah, that was a, I think that was a really solid move for, for the Suns. And then the Suns made a, another good move with the, the Ryan Anderson, T, you know, Tyler Johnson trade. I think they've, they've done a, a couple of really nice moves in, in that regard. And getting Melton in that deal was, was really smart to, to, to take a flyer on him and, and see what, what he can bring to the table. And he's, you know, I think he's been really solid. I like Elia Kobo as well. They've, they've got more of a commitment to him in terms of him being guaranteed next year and having two more seasons after that, perhaps under contract, depending on what they want to do with his uh, non-guarantees and team options later on in his career. But they can sort of bring him along a little bit slower and sort of see which of these guys pops in a big way. And then, you know, if one of them is, is able to even, you know, fill a high-level backup role, that's going to be a really – that's going to be – that can be a really valuable spot for them to get – to get a backup point guard and hopefully that they're, you know, I think their plan is probably to go out and get a starting level point guard this summer. Either one of those guys can be a backup. They can sort of split the job for now and sort of see which guy, you know, really earns it. Sure. For sure. We're going to talk about some uh, future, future, this off season stuff for the Suns in a second. But first I want to talk about culture and stuff. The Suns did a lot of stuff this year with their dead money and cap space to really help um, kind of, I don't know, to get show, show agents and show other teams kind of how this new regime is going to work. Obviously, if this, they have to get a new GM, um, we'll see what happens with that. I think James Jones is working better. I was always a high on McDonough, um, more for not blaming him for things he couldn't really control. Um, but I want to understand from another person's perspective kind of what the problem is because it's like the Suns used to have a really good reputation, as people know, when the Colangelo's were there. Then Sarver takes over. We know he made a lot of mistakes. He probably still is making mistakes, but I think that I think it's sometimes a lot of the stuff is overblown with them. What do you think? 
I mean, as somebody who doesn't have any real inside information and the, the biggest thing that we have to work on from a, a company culture, uh, an organizational culture perspective is that article that Arnovitz wrote yeah. for from ESPN. Four years ago, basically. You know, and it's just like those, but those things are important to sort of assess who Robert Sarver is as an owner and, and where, you know, how he sets the culture of the team. And it's something where, you know, you can, I think, the one sort of you know aspect of this that gets underrated is that how much does Devin Booker's personality infect the rest of the team? Because, you know, you see that in Portland where the, the most important person in the, the entire state of Oregon is Damian Lillard. And he's the best. I mean, he's one of the guys that if you wanted to go to war with anybody, it'd be Damian Lillard because he is just the, the, he's empowering to his teammates, but he's also, you know, realizes when he's supposed to take over and he's, He's that kind of guy to the point where the the trailblazers can be led by, you know, and, and Paul Allen was a, was a very, very good owner, but who knows what their ownership situation is like going forward after he, you know, after his death. And now it's sort of Damian Lillard's town and it's his city and it's his team. And they, they take after him. And when, you know, when bad things happen, like the use of Nurkic injury, they just come right back and, and Lillard is, is there to lead them again. CJ McCollum goes down and Lillard is immediately very good against the Pacers, a very good defensive team. He immediately goes off against them and he just sort of sets the tone for the organization. And now you can almost see that the Trailblazers organizational culture doesn't necessarily have to start with the owner or the general manager or the head coach. It starts with their star player. Booker has that ability to lead. He is young, so he hasn't quite maybe grasped some of the nuances of it. And I think that him, um, if Kokoschka can stay, needs to, I mean, he's, he's, it's hard for him to be like super charismatic just because of being not from here and not being kind of any, being such a, it feels like he's a basketball mind less than a like, like traditional coach, if that makes sense. Um, but I think that it just, he has, with Kokoshkov, James Jones, and the other people in this thing, if he stays, I think he's going to stay, but maybe he's not the GM. But uh, what they have there is enough to overcome whatever Sarver is doing. I mean, there's just so many examples that people – there's ebbs and flows in a cyclical to the way the NBA works in terms of stuff. No no team is always bad, and their culture is not always bad. I mean, people rehab their culture all the time. 76ers rehab their culture. I mean, tons of just, – it just happens all the time. Yeah, I think the the big thing with those three guys, if you're looking at James Jones, Igor Kokoshkov, and Devin Booker as the three sort of leaders of the franchise going forward, and Sarver obviously is the owner and he's part of that, but those three guys are sort of the positive leaders going forward, and Sarver being more of a negative leader. But if you if you just look at those three guys, Booker has the on the floor cachet that stars love him when he goes to you know team usa stuff he's consistently in the mix with with the, the with the best players in the league they respect him the, his teammates respect him and if he sort of grasps the the nuances like you talked about with of what damian lillard is able to do and, and the other big time leaders the player leaders uh, in the league he can be their leader on the floor and then you have james jones who is universally loved he's another one of those guys that everybody swears by and everybody loves like a jamal crawford like damian lillard like vince carter in atlanta you know just a, a veteran guy who's been around the block so much that he just has that sort of personal cachet that even though you know if he's an assistant gm he can be that sort of the, the 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 link between the front office and the players and the coaches that you know you, that you really you need in a front office and so he can be that guy and then you have Kakashkov who if he doesn't have the personality to be the team's off the court leader and that sort of falls to an assistant or it falls to James Jones even he's the tactician he's the mind behind how things work on the floor you know that's a, a very important part of things too and so you know he doesn't necessarily Kakashkov doesn't necessarily have to set the table as the, the the culture guy. He can be more of the the basketball the mind the the basketball tech, tech you know tactician the technician behind the behind the scenes of of how things work on the floor. And he's very good at that for sure. I'm watching it. I'm like, whoo, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, do you think that the 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 cap stuff they did this year, like Wayne Ellington, Austin Rivers, etc., helped them um, around the league or not? Yeah, I mean, I can't I can imagine that they're that they have a better standing around the league with free agents than they have over, over the last, you know, couple of years that they've, they were able to 
move Brandon Knight to a situation where he, if he had been able to play better, would have been able to thrive as a, as a backup point guard in Houston. Obviously that didn't work out for Knight. And so now he, he was moved on. But, you know, from the Suns perspective, they did right by him. They did right by, by Wayne Ellington to not push him on a buyout and just let him walk. And, you know, I think they've helped to repair their, their image around the league a little bit. Along with Tyson Chandler and along with, uh, Austin Rivers too. I mean, yeah, Trevor Reza is the so same way. Mo- yeah, Trevor Reza, so much dead money, and they got Ubre too. And then I think it seems like, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. See, I think there's a lot of good things that happen that people say, oh, McDonough used people's assets, which he did. But I remember that 2012 year and 2011 year where, I mean, there was no assets to be found, and he made it happen. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's something that. You know, I think that's why they liked James Jones and why they wanted to bring him in is because McDonough and then, you know, perhaps whoever takes over ahead of James Jones, if there's somebody above him in the the organizational hierarchy, because those guys would be more asset based than personality based, then, you know, that that's part of what, you know, part of how McDonough failed was because of the, the personality stuff. And, you know, you have to sort of you can you you can either hire somebody who's great at both of those things, that great at the asset game and the personality game, or you can sort of split that job up, which is how they've really done it this year with, you know, literally co-GMs, one more of a technician, more of a behind-the-scenes guy, and then James Jones, who's the face of the franchise going forward. Yeah, Trevor Buxton, I mean, they did some shrewd stuff this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's probably more on him than it is on Jones, I would just have to expect. We, we, would, we would assume, and we'll see what happens. So I want to play a little bit of hypothetical game here. Um, to get kind of a non, non Suns local perspective on some of the th- ideas I've been having. Um, I think I, I messaged this to you, uh, before, before we recorded, but my head, th- my head idea is to get Drew Holiday in as a starting point guard. Um, do you think the one that's a possibility, especially with Anthony Davis out of the Pelicans, um, pretty much inevitably being laughed and Drew being the only really real veteran there, um, that can build around Randall and whatever else they get. Do you think that, um, like, Tyler Johnson expiring, Josh Jackson, or no, TJ Warren, and the uh, 2019 first, if it's not Zion, is enough? I mean, it depends on where, where you know, who's in charge of, of the Pelicans and what they see going forward, whether Drew's even going to be on the table. You know, I think that that might be something that, that would interest a, a Pelicans team that is, is sort of moving forward with a, a younger core and would like to have you know, TJ Warren as a scorer, they can take a chance on a, on a second draft guy in, in Josh Jackson, who hasn't totally worked out in Phoenix, but, you know, has some, some, some of that upside from being a high draft pick. And so that, that would make sense, especially if they also got a, a solid pick that, you know, for Drew Holiday, who's probably properly paid at, at 26 million, but, you know, is it over, you know, that's not an over the moon value for, for the Suns. That might not be, a move that they want to make. I don't know that that's, that might be too much for them to give up on Jackson and Warren, who looks like he's on a really good contract. I meant, I meant just, sorry, I just meant, um, not Josh Jackson, but Warren, Tyler Johnson, and the first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. That's what I'm um, say. That makes a lot more sense. That's a, a more of a deal that would make sense for both sides that Phoenix wouldn't necessarily be giving up a ton to, to get a guy like Drew Holiday. You know, if it's, if it's not going to be Drew, maybe it's a, a Mike Conley from Memphis who makes a little bit more money, but is on a, a shorter contract and, and might be, you know, looking to get out of, uh, of Memphis. Those two guys would be, you know, fantastic fits as a sort of defensive guys who can play on or off the ball next to Devin Booker. Those, you know, those two in particular are really strong. Would be really strong additions just on the floor, you know, in terms of how you how you work the off court value in terms of their contracts and the trade, you know, remains to be seen. But you know, those those two guys would be my prime targets if I were if I were running Phoenix and in, in terms of looking for a trade. There, you know, might be other guys on the free agent market, but those are the two you know big trade targets. Yeah, I mean those I mean those would be over the moon. I mean I th- I was always thinking Mike Carlin would be too old and too uh, expensive, but I'm not. I mean it sounds like you're more positive on that. They both are fantastic players that would help the Suns so much. I mean, think of, I mean, dream a little bit here with me. Um, if it's Mike Connolly or Drew Holiday, Booker, um, Ubre, Bridges, and Aiton, and maybe they get Zion too. Like <laughs> the team is going to be pretty stinking good next year if that is the case with all I mean, the uh, a, a second first year players becoming second year players. I mean, there's something there. Certainly, if they get Zion and then they're also able to 
re-sign Ubre and trade for a high-level point guard like Mike Conley or Drew Holiday, especially if it's Drew Holiday, like because he's a, he's on a, another level from Conley. Like Drew Holiday is a significantly better player. Oh, you think so? Right now, I think so. I mean, I think Conley is sort of on the on the downswing. He's paid more, which is also a problem. Like he's he's a little bit further on the downswing, and Drew Holiday. Before things went haywire for the for the Pelicans, he was pushing for an All NBA third team spot. Maybe you know if he, if they extended the teams out to fourth or fifth team, he'd be in the conversation for one of the ten best guards in the league. And and for this season alone, he's a really really good player. And it's it's something that you know sort of gets lost in the Anthony Davis thing and sort of the jokes about the Pelicans and the jokes about Anthony Davis and the Lakers and everything sort of surrounding the, that, that situation that Drew Holiday is having a fantastic year and certainly was having a fantastic year before, you know, he, he went down with this, this core injury. So he's, he would be the, the, the number one target by a mile. If they also add Zion Williamson, then that's just, you know, that would be obviously literally like winning the lottery in real life, but that's what would be happening for them as well. So, you know, the, the, you add those two guys in a trade. If you don't, if they didn't have to give up, bridges to to get you know drew holiday which you know i think they would might be able to do based on where you know based on new orleans incentives and based on where where that organization is that's i mean that's a really good team i mean it's lining up pretty pretty good there i mean jabari and i were talking in the last episode drew holiday is better than john wall for sure and like i mean who can you say is better than drew holiday west i mean westbrook uh curry harden Loud yeah, I mean, as guards, like, I guess you're looking at, you know, at those guys, you're looking, I mean, you're, you're, depending on what you need, you're looking at a guy like Kemba Walker. Uh, if do you, you think if, they I should mean, get him in free agency? Sons? They're not going to have the money for it. They're not going mean, to have to get paid super, super high. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the, one of the things about Phoenix that is sort of under, underappreciated going forward is as they're, not necessarily, what, you know, obviously they're one of the worst teams in the league this year. They don't have a ton of money going into next season. You know, Booker's max contract kicks in. Tyler Johnson's going to opt in to $19.2 million. If they want to keep Kelly Oubre, that's $9.6 million on their books just as a cap hold for his restricted rights. That's all of their cap space. They don't have cap space going into the summer. They can navigate to about 16, a little less than 17 million, depending on where their pick comes in. But they're not, they're not looking at having $30 million to go out and get Kemba Walker. Like, that's just, that's not on the table. I, I think I actually knew that. I just kind of forgot. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, everybody sort of assumes that bad teams have a lot of cap space, but it's not really the case for the Suns at this point. But I think they did, like we talked about, they did a shrewd move using the dead money that they that they weren't going to be able to spend on anything anyway to do that. And they did a good job paying Booker his extension early, even though people have critiqued it. Yeah, I mean, there are, there, there was a, there was a, a, a world in which they, come to that agreement with Booker, but not necessarily sign him to it so that they have the extra cap space going forward because his cap cap hold would have been like $9 million. That's another $18 million that they could have worked with. They could have gotten into the, 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 the derby for some of the really big name free agents, but you know, instead they've gone in this Ubre direction, Tyler Johnson, and, and they, you know, they've got Devin Booker locked up absolutely. And they don't have to worry about him going out and getting, you know, a, a three plus one like Gordon Hayward did a, a handful of years ago and, and being able to walk from, from the Phoenix Suns in, you know, he could have walked in 2022 and now he's not going to be a free agent until 2024. And, you know, is, is that worth the $18 million in cap space? I think it probably is. Probably. And also, I mean, no one passed up the, the rookie max, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rare that you, you see those max extensions, you know, turned down. Um, yeah, someone was uh, mentioning that uh, Rubio would be a good uh, veteran stopgap at cheaper money. Yeah, I have him in my notes as, as somebody who would be a, an interesting point guard, not necessarily a guy like Drew or Mike Conley, who is a seamless fit next to Booker because Rubio's offensive, you know, deficiencies are are, are there. You know, those are things that that matter for you know assessing his value. That he's not he's not the three point shooter those guys are. But he's the, he's, you know, every bit of, well, he's not every bit of the defender that Drew Holiday is, but he's, he's a, he's a really strong defensive option at the one. He's, you know, a, a really good passer, a really, you know, a good guy to just have on the team as, as certain, in terms of personality wise, you know, so he's. He can run the pick and roll to help. Right. That would be great to have a, 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 re, a sort of secondary primary creator that if you wanted to take Booker off the ball a little bit more and Booker's catch and shoot numbers are good enough. To where he can move off the ball if you wanted to run sort of a, a, almost a dual primary 
creator uh, kind of offense that Kakashkov, I'm sure, would have a ton of fun of uh, in terms of you know drawing up different offensive plays and and their their different offensive philosophies for for having both of those guys on the floor. So I think based on where the Suns have been at the point guard spot, you know, having you know getting Rubio in and and having him on the team, even if it's not the absolute perfect fit would still be a, a massive upgrade over what they've had, you know, for most of this year. And if we're talking, if, it, if it's Rubio, then they can also throw Tyler Johnson on the team, and he is decent at it all. Yeah, I mean, he can be sort of that combo guard off the bench who can do a little bit of both. And, and you know, he's not, he, he's, sort, he's another one of those representations of, of how people think about bad contracts. And, of course, Tyler Johnson is overpaid, but by how much matters. You know, he's not... $19.2 million of dead salary who is never going to play next season. He's going to be, he's going to play. He's going to play pretty well. He's going to be worth seven to $10 million based on how, you know, how much he plays and how well he plays next year. So he's not, you know, that $19 million is not, you know, necessarily as dead money as, as some other guys around the league. But Anderson's was, which is why it made it such a good trade. Yeah. That's, I think that, that makes sense. It made sense for both sides, but it, it, it definitely made sense for Phoenix. And if they have Tyler Johnson and or Rubio or, or even if they just get a Drew and then Booker can be maybe this, the, the backup in some sense, um, then they don't have to rely on Melton and Okobo so much and they can just start really winning. I mean, if even like half of what we're talking about even comes to fruition, they're in the thirties next year, maybe even closer to four to 500, but, I'm not saying that they're going to get there, but I think that the future is bright for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 as bright as you can expect based on the fact that they have a guy like Devin Booker who can be your primary scoring guard on on a on a, on a how good he can be on a good team it sort of remains to be seen. It depends on what his teammates look like. It depends on how he grows as a, as a player, as a facilitator, as a ball handler, as a defender. Like all of those things will matter for him going forward. But they've got their sort of they 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 have their star player. They have a really good three and D role player in, in Bridges right next to him. They have their center of the future in DeAndre Ayton, and it's just about filling in the rest of those spots around those guys. And you know they haven't done a fantastic job of that throughout the you know over the last few years. But you would think you know with a with a new front office with you know a, a coach that I I personally rate you know relatively highly, but you know we have to see sort of how they rate him. Um, you know, they bring back Ubre. They can bring in a starting point guard, you know, over the summer. Hopefully they can, you know, do, do some other things, you know, in the draft, depending on where they fall. If they get Zion, of course, that's, you know, literally winning the lottery. And of course, if they end up with Jarrett Culver or somebody like that, that that's going to be another guy who fits really well next to Booker. So, you know, there's going to be, there, there's definitely room for optimism for the Suns. The fact that they don't have a ton of cap space is not necessarily going to kill them because they have, Ubre, they have some tradable pieces in order to go out and get a uh, get a starting point card. So you know, it's it's definitely things are looking up, even though you know it's it's hard to see how how much they're looking up when you know when the team is you know going to win maybe twenty twenty one games this year. Yeah, and and it was always a bummer when people are saying the losses in these huge games and all this like this doom and gloom about the culture. It's like, I mean. If, I don't know. I don't want to be too detrimental on these people, but it's like they didn't watch the games. They don't know how who's improving, how they're improving, or see the flash necessarily. I forgot to ask though. What about Lonzo Ball as a person that maybe there's a rumor there for a while? I mean, that would be worth taking a flyer on. I'm not sure that he would. I wouldn't trade anything of, of value for him at this point because you have no idea if he can stay healthy and stay on the floor. And hopefully these, you know, him signing with Nike and, and leaving his his own company was is going to help him in that regard because he's had all these ankle and lower body injuries and maybe it's the shoes that'd be great for him if it were because he's going to move into Nike shoes and and be you know hopefully be healthier going forward that's you know who knows if that's you know his issues or if he's got bigger issues than that the jump shot is like we talked about Ricky Rubio not being a great fit because he's not as much of a shooter Lonzo is is on a whole nother level from down from where Rubio is so you know that would be much more of a tenuous fit. Of course, Ball is younger. He's got more room for improvement in that regard. He, you know, if you, if you get him out of LA, maybe he, you know, can turn the shot the shot around a little bit. So, you know, it's it's something that if it if it works out for them and they don't have to give anything up of significant value, then sure, then that's that's a worthwhile gamble. But it's not something that uh, he would not be on the the 
my tier one list of, of, of targets for them. Absolutely. The other ones we talked about are much more desirable for sure. Any other final thoughts about the Suns as we get out of here? I mean, the other point guards, I mean, I've, I've got a, uh, another list of, of point guards guys that they could target. I've been a big guy. I've been a big Terry Rogier guy coming into this year. I thought he played really well in the playoffs last year and sort of would turn the corner. That hasn't happened. He hasn't turned the corner. He's exactly who he was last year before, you know, he was able to run the show in the playoffs. It looks like that playoff performance was more of a blip than a, a, a step forward for him. He's not been the sort of three and D point guard that I hoped that he would be. And, and so, you know, it's something that they may have considered earlier in the year when they had more cap space. Now that they're not going to have cap space, they're probably not going to be in the Rogier Derby this summer, but you know, he, that's somebody that I've really banged the drum for in terms of getting him to Phoenix as a, as a partner to Devin Booker because he plays defense, because he can hit the three, but it just hasn't, hasn't happened for Rogier in the right way. And so, you know, I think I'm sort of more out on him. Guys like Darren Collison or Corey Joseph from Indiana, both of those guys are going to be unrestricted this summer. Cheaper option, somebody that they can go after with a mid-level exception and perhaps, you know, you know, be able to, to sign those guys. Patrick Beverly, another, Another guy from, from the Clippers who on a mid-level exception would be a, a really solid three and D guard who would bring a, a massive personality to, to their locker room, be, you know, hold their guys accountable defensively. He could be the kind of guy who holds Booker accountable on the defensive end in a way that, you know, maybe they haven't quite had at this point in, in Booker's development. So I think, you know, Beverly is another one that I, uh, I would really like to see next to next to Booker in Phoenix. Yeah, we've definitely mentioned Beverly in other podcasts about that. And I forgot to mention also Booker's defense individually has been better. He's better uh, on on ball than off ball. And I never, as you would probably agree, you never know whether it's because of the huge offensive load. I think you mentioned this in the article, or whether it's because of effort or because. He's not just not good at it. I feel like he's he's actually potentially could be good at it. Just it's not it's just too much energy to do everything for the entire team on both sides of the court. Um, he had a good uh, uh verticality rule though to finish that Wizards game. Um, and also his assists. I mean, only him and Harding are averaging twenty five and seven. Yeah, I mean, I think Booker because of his because he has the ball in his hands so much, he's going to have the opportunity to to pass his teammates open and to find his teammates. I don't look at him as a James Harden level creator for his teammates. I think it's almost more of a, 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 because he's such a good scorer. It's, it's a, a product of that rather than being a product of him being a fantastic playmaker, but he could get there. You know, if he, if he really, you know, works on the, works on the ball handling, works on the passing, works on his vision. Those are things that, uh, that he could definitely improve on. Yeah. I like that nuance on the causality there. It's, I think I think that's definitely very pretty accurate there, and we'll we'll see. I mean, his usage rate still only thirty three compared to Harden's forty, but um, the uh, I think that uh, Booker went if if you bring in like a Drew Holiday, his usage rate will go down, his turnovers will go down, his assist rate will go down a little bit, but not as much as we think. I think, and uh, it'll it'll make it his efficiency if Drew Holiday would bring in his efficiency would be off the charts. I would it's be it'd be incredible. I mean, yeah, what he had, he had 108, 50 shots, 40 shots. I forget. It was not very many. Yeah. He's been, I mean, he's been fantastic the last couple of games. He's been a fantastic scorer this season. And it's really just about building out the rest of his game to see if he can be, you know, a, a really high level contributor on a good team. Yeah. The last thing is I did the math the other day. He's, he's a very good chance barring serious injury, not just like the bangs and scratches he gets now, barring serious, serious injury and a trade. He'll be the uh, franchise-leading scorer by the time he's 31. Yeah, I mean, if he sticks around that long, it, it sort of, it would make sense that he would be able to to jump into the that top tier. It's pretty crazy considering the Suns are the fourth highest winning fourth or fifth highest winning percentage of all time in the NBA. Yeah, because they've had so many they've had so many iterations of good teams over the years, even going back to you know when they were you know in the in the mid 70s, I believe they were in the finals against the Boston Celtics in like 76 or something like that. Um, you know, and then of course they had Barkley and they had that run and then they had the Steve Nash and Mari Sotomayor run. And, you know, hopefully they, you know, this Booker, Aiton, maybe Zion, maybe this is sort of the, the next run for them. The next one. Oh, thanks so much. Why don't you plug what you got going on and we'll get out of here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. Um, if you're interested in the Atlanta Hawks, I cover them extensively for, for Peachtree Hoops. 
Um, if you're interested in salary cap stuff, uh, anything about uh, about the salary cap moving forward for all 30 teams, I have all of that over at Early Bird Rights. I also write about transactions and, and signings and trades and everything that uh, that's going to happen over the next few months as we move into the summer. All of that is on Early Bird Rights. Um, I write. I wrote about Devin Booker for for Dime Magazine. If you're interested in reading that article that we talked about a couple of times on this show, I write for Forbes every once in a while as a, a sort of uh, a breaking down the, the money side of basketball for for Forbes.com. I'm over at the B-Ball Writers as well, and you know wherever else you can find me, just follow me on Twitter. That's where everything is is posted. Very versatile. I liked what Jeff was doing. I just found him on Twitter there, so I'm excited that I found it and that we could have the conversation. Maybe we should talk Hawks sometime. Um, thank you so much, Jeff, for your time. Uh, follow me at Eric underscore Sar, E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R. And then my site is solarinsights.net. Um, I'd love if you could, uh, if people could give me a, on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you are, give me a review and a rate. I'd really appreciate that. I need to get some people. We need to send it to other people. I got tons of guests. Check the check the guest logs. Got some great people always coming in to uh, talk basketball. Thanks again, Jeff, and everybody have a great day. Mm-hmm.